Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Premier Podcast of Strength Conditioning, where we break things down and we melt faces daily. Daily. I love how you've, you've been mixing that up. Well, you know, I feel like... I mean, it's equal to the tempo of the show. Uh, yeah, but um, I felt like from... I mean, when, when did we start doing this? In like, what, 1999? We've been doing this thing. <laughs> how, how long are we doing this podcast? Uh, well, I mean, when were you born? Uh, <laughs> you've been talking for a oh, long time. A long time. Well, you know, we it happens just, to be a rhetoric major. We just started to press record in 2013. So 2013, we've pretty much had the same intro. And now that we've, you know, gone from a, a threesome to a twosome, um, but we're back to a threesome today with Mr. Zanis, I feel like it deserves a new intro. 2021 deserves a new intro. This whole new me, new you extends through the entire year. And I'll tell you, 2021 has started out with a fury. And I like it. I, I know you do. Welcome back to town, John. Thank you. Thank you. The, uh, me and Ted Cruz had to escape. And... And Texas Attorney General or somebody else that's big and famous that's getting burned. But uh, well, the problem was get, I was already I know, in no, California no. visiting my mom for Valentine's Day. You know, uh, it'll be the third uh, third year anniversary of my dad's passing here on the twenty eighth. So we decided to go out and do a little Valentine's Day with my mom, and we were trying to decide what we should do with my dad's ashes. And then all of a sudden, they just started canceling flights. And so my option was to just buy a pickup truck. Because nobody would rent me a car to drive. And you're the only person to think of that option. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm the only one dumb enough to basically go buy a $5,000 pickup truck, throw a few wrenches on it, and then load my family and drive 1,200 miles into a snowstorm with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you are. uh, I got online and I tried to like rent like Avis Hertz. Hey, can I rent a pickup truck? I got to and I want to do it one way to Austin. Everybody said no. Not because of the snowstorm, but because people are exiting California and what they're doing is they're getting rentals one way. And so oh. they are not doing what they, well, at least they weren't doing uh, one way rentals when I called them. So I got online and I was trying to find a pickup truck. I went and looked at a few and sadly, I'm not sure they would have made it for my price range. So we had to wait and we got rebooked, came in on Saturday and uh, I was pretty stressed we had uh, the neighbor turn the water off, and the only casualties we had here at the barn was our tankless water heater gave up the ghost, and some of the the PVC pipes for my well decided to crack. You know, I think what happened was I wasn't here to like turn it off and then blow the pipes out, kind of like text on a Saturday night, close it Hey-o. down, blow the pipes out, and they just ended up freezing over and cracking. But I'll tell you this, my wife, I remember we we're driving to the airport. I'm like, hey, this storm's going to be pretty serious. She's like, no, we'll be fine. Everything will be good by Monday. It's just a weekend storm. And then every day it just got successful, like the succession of worse news. It's freezing rain. It's ice. It's below temperature. People, I mean, it was like watching a natural, well, it was literally watching a natural disaster unfold in front of you. Oh, yeah. It was basically Joe's Geostorm starring Gerard Butler in my backyard. <laughs> Just I was living every day. Um, well, I, I mean, but every morning I'd hit you guys with a proof of life. Uh huh. Well, I, I was performing a lot of wellness. I was getting a lot of wellness checks with my friends. So that was making me feel good. Me too. And then I kept just sending him a picture of the Newport Beach Harbor. With your feet up with the, like, a <laughs> like time. Dude, it was. Uh, um, so this is where the misconception lies. California is shut down. 
So Texas has a lot of freedom, California, not so much. So it wasn't as if we could really do anything other than, and it was too, it was like in the sixties. So there was no going to the beach. So it was kind of like we went to cross up Alboa, bang some weights, hit our favorite breakfast and lunch spots, took the kids back, let them go swimming and just kind of hung out. But literally every, I mean, I was thinking like Disneyland, Magic Mountain, let's go do something. Everything closed. So that was a bummer. Now, I wish we had gone to like visit my mom in like, say, Colorado or Montana or Wyoming where there was skiing and then got caught for an extra week and then we got to ski. But sadly, that didn't happen. So I had to suffer. Well, I mean, I, I tell you what, John. I was going to say, I was, I was half expecting you to drive out here to Arizona with the new car. You said uh, you're going to pick up a, a truck. And I still remember back to a couple of years ago when you bought that station wagon looking thing. Uh, that's drove like it out here to Arizona with no air conditioning. 1979 <laughs> GMC Suburban two-wheel drive turbo 700 uh, small block with no AC in the middle of the summer. And I'll tell you, uh, that thing got almost 18 miles to the gallon. No gas gauge. So I'm sitting there doing the calculations. I'm like, all right, he's got a 40-gallon tank. <laughs> Roughly, I can go X amount of miles. I'm like, okay, let's get in this sucker. And I'll tell you, she ran like a champ. I ran her at 7580 the whole way and bombed that the whole way. My, now, my family only made it from, <laughs> from, LA, from Orange County to Phoenix. And my wife's like, yeah. we can't do this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is great. There's no problem here. All you got to do is just get up like a bunch of cold waters and just sit them in your, like, put them in your lap. And you're like, whew, You're this is way better. I'll tell you what, uh, Kate's a saint, man. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing I love about my wife, uh, there's many things. One of them is that she has to put up with me. But two, she has such confidence in me that if I show up in a vehicle and I'm like, we'll get there, she has no doubt that we'll get there. Because I said to her, I'm like, hey, what do you think we go find a truck and drive? And she's like, go find it. She's like, I know you're going to get us something home. And I know of anybody on the planet, you will get home. Like there could be like a firestorm, asteroids coming, and I'll be like, we'll be fine. I just bought a $5,000 truck. It'll be fine. We'll get there. And we usually always arrive. So, I mean. Dude, you, you, pulled up, you pulled up to dinner, and all I could think about was the station wagon from vacation rolling in there. <laughs> I was just disappointed you didn't have a Christmas tree strapped on top of it. Uh, or, a dead, or, a dead, or a dead grandmother. One or arm in a mattress. Yeah. Uh, dude, I've seen that before. People just driving, like everybody holding onto the mattress because they don't have toe straps. And think, uh, I've actually probably done some dumb stuff like that. Uh, needless to say, we have another episode where we take questions from the hotline. And surprisingly, even though the weather is usually cold, the hotline is always hot. So if you want to kick us any hot. questions to the hotline, 929-464-464. 929-ing-ing. Zero. Yep, that's the number if you want to leave the hotline. We are going to go with our good friends, Mr. Madzanis, or Dr. Madzanis and Mr. Chris McQuilkin to the hotline. And we have a question from one of our dedicated, loyal listeners. And... I'd like to give Matt an opportunity to uh, give us a little catch up. It's been a few episodes since mm. he's joined us. While the question is very specific and we couldn't not get Matt on, I'd love the opportunity just to catch up, pal. So what have you been up to? How's that online education experience going for you? First time? It, uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a freaking blast, man. I'm a content producing machine right now. So I've got a lot of energy from... Uh, creating a lot of educational videos, a lot of educational sources and courses to put out there and help educate our community and help educate uh, athletes and coaches. So it's, it's been exciting. And it's that time of the year here in Arizona where it's like 75 and sunny all day long. So I've been doing a lot of, a lot of shooting recently, John, nice. getting out there and honing in the skills. Yeah. Really working your airsoft game. 
Yeah, <laughs> dude, I'll never forget, man. Back in high school, we used to play that all the time and wearing the baggiest clothes. You do not want to get stuck by one of those things. Oh man, I was running around with like the sniper rifle. Like this is unfair. Everybody else has got the semi-autos going at me, and I got the one you're like single action at the entire time. So when I was out in California, yeah, I stopped there and saw our good friend Doctor Philip Yu. Uh, Doctor uh, Doc Yu used to train with us at Balboa for years, and we've been friends. And uh, I stopped in and checked out his clinic when I was out in Orange County. Um, he's like at the forefront of like stem cells and exosomes and like, you know, uh, uh, like regenerative kind of therapies so much so that, you know, he's kind of become one of the world's experts. So we got to hang out a bunch and the next day he invited me over to his house to check out his workout area. So we helped him spec out this whole workout area. He was going to install in the back of his house a couple of years ago. So he's like, you got to come over. So seven in the morning, I drive over to his place. He's, um, uh, he's sitting in a Airstream, like Mercedes sprinter van. I was like, doc, this thing's crazy. Cause this is my mobile office. You know, the kids have been homeschooled. So I had to mm-hmm. basically move out here. So I got this Airstream. I'm like, Oh great. Nice Airstream. Uh, so we go in the backyard and, you know, checking out his workout thing and he has all these targets set up. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, the only thing you can shoot in California is an airsoft gun. So he basically pulls out his pistol rig and has like a mm-hmm. rifle and was basically working his transitions and all of his like tactical, like running and shooting with the airsoft in his backyard. And I'm like, doc, that's actually pretty sharp considering how mm-hmm. expensive ammo is right now. And more importantly, in California, I don't even think you can own an airsoft gun. <laughs> I mean, the laws are so draconian. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like shooting my, uh, my six hour PT two, six, nine millimeter. And I was really getting into firing away the scar, but that thing just was eating up ammo way too much, way, way too expensive right now. Do you like the scar? I do. Yeah. It's fun. It's, it's kind of one of those, uh, rifles that you don't see come out very often, right? Mm-hmm. And go shoot some guys like not many people have one so it's a it's like a fun little treat when you get to shoot it yeah i um i've shot a scar 16 and then a scar 17 mm-hmm. and a buddy of mine has the 20 with the long barrel and um mm-hmm. uh i don't really like the ergonomics as, as much mm-hmm. as um you know i have a knight's sr25 that i absolutely love it is so light and, and just to me that's like the pinnacle standard that's like the best and uh, so, yeah, we have this constant argument of like Knights versus Scar uh, FN. And so we're going to go out and do a little mm-hmm. long distance shooting. He's got steel set up at like six, eight and a thousand. So we're going to go out there. The one thing I'm a little nervous on is I'm like, we're going to go out and ring a lot of ammo. I'm going to have to bring yeah. about a thousand dollars worth of ammo, which isn't that much anymore. <laughs> seeing as the prices on Gunbroker are absolutely insane. Well, Wayne, let me know when you're going. I'll book a plane ticket and come out oh, with you. Dude, the, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know if you guys are, you know, interested in guns or whatever, but I like once a week, I just kind of look through gun broker and be the things that people are asking for, for weapons is absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Like that night's gun that I have. I mean, I paid below retail now. That's like four times retail what people are asking for them. So it's absolutely uh, ridiculous. Yeah. Now people yeah. are, um, well, but you know, the, the crazy part is obviously people are paying it or they wouldn't be asking which, you know, in, in that kind of like uh, gouging times, like they just, just got to well, sit on it. I mean, fear yeah. is a great driver. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they say the best thing yeah. for the gun industry is getting a Democrat in office. And, you know, like gun spike <laughs> when Obama, they kind of like dipped with Trump. And now all of a sudden mm-hmm. Uncle Joe Biden's in there. And now all of a sudden the gun sales are going through the roof, especially with uh, that mm-hmm. HR 127 that just got released, which pretty much means even airsoft guns are going to be illegal if they can pass that. So. Very, very interesting times we are living in. Very much so. 
Yes. Uh, yes. I feel like we could talk about guns all day long here. Yeah. But you know what? Let's, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, you know, obviously uh, we tested the foot, the foot course that we've been mm-hmm. discussing about for years about not only how to fix a lot of dysfunction within the feet, but now we're going up the chain. So the next course will probably be the low back and then we'll kind of smash it together with some hips and knees and focus on the neck at some point, which I know uh, I got some notes for us to tag team on a neck course and not only how to fix some neck dysfunction, but also how to strengthen. Absolutely. Yeah. That foot course was a huge success. A lot of the positive feedback that I was getting from uh, those who were enrolled in it and the amount of physical and sometimes even emotional transformation that they've been experiencing within like two weeks of just attacking the movements and transitioning themselves out of shoes into more barefoot lifestyle and starting to wake up their feet and seeing how it truly dramatically improves their function, their performance. It's been amazing, man. It just, it, it fills my heart with so much joy to get those messages come in. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, we, we get to see it with the programs, but it's really interesting to be able to, pr- to push something out into the universe, have people take it, adhere to it, use it, and then have these real world success stories and then come back to you and be like, Hey, this, this is something I had this dysfunction. This changed me. This allowed me to go better. So, um, you know, that's the stuff that, you know, it's always exciting when you wake up in the morning, you check your emails, which I know I shouldn't do, but I usually do at 6am. I just check to make sure that nothing's on fire. If nothing's on fire, then I get to go to the gym at seven. If things are on fire, I might be at the gym at seven fifteen. Um, but yeah, those emails are always really good where, you know, people are saying, Hey, you know what, here was my performance. This is where it was lacking. I did this. And now all of a sudden here I am making some significant gains. Um, if you guys want to check out the foot course, academy.powerathletehq.com, all the courses are listed. Just scroll down and you'll see, uh, the power athlete Xanis foot course. Yep. Scroll down at the bottom. You'll see all our course offerings from some free education all the way up to some premium. And let's get ready for the hotline. John mentioned back, and that's what our question is all about. Baby got back. Ready? All right. Play it. Hello, my name is Jack. Um, some background, I'm 6'4", 210 pounds, 27 years old. I've been following Third Monkey and Johnny Bod since about March with Johnny Bod starting in the late summer. Uh, at 19, I got a spondy on my back around the L5-S1 area. Uh, I was never really flexible. At 6'4", I couldn't dunk, but that kind of back injury tends to linger with you. Um, my back is a lot better. Uh, I've been really enjoying the third monkey programming, but I've always been, I'm still poor at squatting and deadlifting, not only because of my size, but because of my back injury history. And I'm, I'm just not that flexible or good at it yet. So the question I have for you is, what do you do with athletes who have that kind of back injury history and how do you get them better under the bar or with a kettlebell or what does that progression look like? Um, I know you're a big fan of the one-legged um, seesaw walk and dead bugs to help train that posture and position, but I really struggle taking those movements and then moving them from a single leg to bilateral or from the floor to the to standing up. Um, I'm not, I know it's a long message and I can't send you a video over the voicemail, but one thing is if you're asking what uh, primal movement I'm the worst at, it's the step up. I like my knee immediately caves in and going and descending doesn't look good at all, but I'd really appreciate your guys' thoughts on how you take, um, how you take a tall person with back injuries and get them under the bar. 
Thank you guys so much. This is really great. Man, there's a lot to unpack. There, there. there is a lot to unpack. So let's Dude. let's go ahead and chunk it out. I've done a little preparation. Um, so Xanus, let's let's tackle these first two. Well, let's start with what is a spondy. Yeah, and, and let's break mm-hmm. down like the difference between uh, spondylosis and spondylithesis, and the other spondies that are hiding out there. Tex, that was like a really great unintentional pun you put out there with preparation and considering a, a spondylolysis, the fracture of the pars interarticularis in the vertebrae. 100% <laughs> in, yeah. for the record, so well timed. <laughs> intentional for the record. I'll tell you, I can't stop laughing over here. My excitement and laughter is almost going to explode my head for these amazing puns and Mr. Puntastic, a.k.a. Mr. McQuilkin. Oh, God. So well put. Anyway, uh, there are essentially two different conditions here when, we, when we're talking about a spondy, one being a spondylolysis and the other one being a spondylolisthesis. The spondylolysis is simply like a stress fracture to what's called the pars interarticularis, which is a piece of bone that connects the vertebral body, so the front of the spine, to the uh, facet joints in the back. So it's kind of like a strut. And it's often referred to as a, a Scotty dog fracture because if you look at it, kind of like on an x-ray, it will look like a Scottish Terrier dog with a collar around its neck. Or if you're more morbid, it's like a, the head's coming off the Scotty dog. So choose your perspective, I guess. But that is just kind of like the, I guess, the beginning stages of the injury. And when that pars interarticularis fracture becomes weakened, it could potentially lead into what's called a spondylolisthesis, which means that that fracture actually gets movement, it separates, and then the vertebrae will start to slip on each other. So you get one vertebrae that will move forward on top of the other, which is, can be uh, a lot more serious. It, is this like a cascading effect? So they have spondylosis, and then it goes to spondylithesis. So is, is, is one kind of the precursor of the other? It could be a prerequisite, right? So you could get the spondylolysis that leads into the listhesis. However, you could have a traumatic spondylolisthesis from some type of an acute injury that creates enough force to fracture the vertebrae and push it forward. So uh, during my NFL career, whenever I heard spondy, I always assumed it was a spondylithesis where the vertebra starts slipping. And um, I was not aware that a stress fracture in there was actually called a spondyloosis. The lolysis. Lolysis. Okay. These names. Lysis. Lysis. These, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I understand the genealogy and classification of this stuff, but it's kind of, I mean, nor- normally they would just say, hey, this guy got a stress fracture in his back. Uh, but when they actually referred to it as a spondy, mm-hmm. that was when mm-hmm. they started to slip. And that usually happened from like, you know, if you yeah. saw a guy, uh, actually, the, I'm thinking of the mechanism that I saw last time was a guy was going for a hit and he stumbled. And as he hit, mm-hmm. he was on his knees. Mm-hmm. And then the other dude hit him in the face and basically Ugh. bent him back. And, yeah. uh, and that was the traumatic injury. It was, uh, like ever since then. And when I saw it, I remember thinking like, if you stumble before, I mean, there was no way to get out of the way, but the dude like stumbled, mm-hmm. fell down knees and then got hit. And it was like fucking. Yeah. That, that's a mechanism of injury. It's a lot of that big hyperextension, then coupled with a lot of rotation, which is why you, uh, you see it a lot in NFL linemen predominantly and then more often some type of throwing athlete so like track and field throwers discus shot put and then a lot in um all those guys whose moms wouldn't sign the permission slip to play football right that's what i like (laughs) to you know whenever i saw bert and all the soren uh like soren x guys and all the throwers i'm like dude you guys are so big and strong what happened mom Mm -hmm. wouldn't sign the uh, permission slip and then they're always giving me this dirty look like you couldn't do this i'm like you're right my mom signed the permission (laughs) slip i never had to find out 
<laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> ironically enough, uh, that does will put you into a predisposed category for that type of injury too. These these taller guys, so sure. like the longer longer torso guys, uh, creates a lot more what we call shear forces on the spine in certain positions where you have um, a lot more force going through the vertebral column than you would if you had something like me. I'm I'm six one, big long lanky limbs, but I got a real short torso. So makes me a powerhouse of a deadlifter. Don't really have to worry too, too much about getting that big forward lean in the trunk and, and predisposing the back to a lot of extra forces. Yeah. yeah. I mean, usually people that are shorter leg, longer torso are usually naturally good squatters. People mm-hmm. that are shorter mm-hmm. torso, longer legs are naturally good deadlifters, longer levers. So um, what's kind of interesting on this is he didn't delineate between the two. So I'm going to go with the first one, the spondy fracture as kind of his issue. I mean, and I've, I've seen people with that and it usually yeah. there's some numbness in the legs, back spasms. And, uh, what happens I think is because of the spasm and kind of the position of the muscles trying to start firing to kind of create mm-hmm. stability, he probably is extremely tight in his low back. So he probably doesn't do anything or at least he didn't necessarily kind of throw it out. But man, there's a lot to kind of look at in terms of injury mechanisms yeah. and why his training is what it is. I think it's important to consider that it really doesn't matter which one it is right now, because you can get a multitude of symptoms with, with each one. The only thing that you have to really be concerned about with that spondylolisthesis where the vertebrae are actually slipping is when you can't control your bowel or bladder, right? Uh-oh. So if you're incontinent and pooping yourself, disaster pants, that's a, that's a big, big red flag uh, that you might have some neurological compromise there. But then also like the shooting radiating leg pain, that's kind of a coin flip. You could have that type of a symptom from, from nerve compression, or you could actually just get it from um, the nervous system's overreactivity to what's going on in the back. Like you mentioned, John, everything is kind of tense and tight and kind of putting some pressure on the nerves as they exit the spine when they're already in through the muscles and everything has to go down to the leg. So a bit of a difference there. Uh, but the, the key factor here is that it all comes down to what Stuart McGill, you guys have had him on before, what he talks about with this equation of power equals force times velocity. Right. So the higher the amount of force going through the spine, coupled with the higher velocity, that's where you start to run into problems, especially with the extension and the rotation piece occurring at the spine, which is why somebody like a, like a golfer or a baseball player can get away with a lot over and over and over again. Cause it's a lot of high velocity, but not so much power mm-hmm. versus somebody like an NFL lineman. You think about this, like the, the exact situation that you just described, John was that guy getting hit, getting pushed into a lot of extension. That's a lot of force being pushed through there at a high velocity also yeah. can potentially cause the problem there as well. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's start diving into the question. Uh, I assume this dude is just a rec athlete because he references being able to dunk and playing some basketball. So maybe a high school basketball player that now just loves to still stay fit. All right. Mm-hmm. The first question that he offers us, and this is definitely directed in Xanis's way wheelhouse what do you do with athletes that have this kind of back injury? How do you get them better? And then this is now for John. How do you get them better under a bar with a kettlebell or what? So let's lead off with Xanis here. What do you do when an athlete comes to you with this back injury history? Well, I think the first thing you have to consider is, is this person in the right place, right? So is there some type of red flag occurring where you would have to refer them out for some type of neurological compromise that needs to get taken care of where MRIs and x-rays are warranted, but as long as that's all clear, um, priority number one is just to reinstill a sense of confidence in them because the worst thing that you could do 
is have somebody who has a diagnosis of fracture in their back and all of a sudden they think that they're broken, right? And they won't move their self-limit at that point, which would actually make things work really, really worse in the, in the long run. So showing them ways that they actually can move and modulate their pain while they can continue to train. Because at the end of the day, John, we say it all the time, the trunk is like a big tree trunk. It's sturdy. It's robust. It can handle a lot. It really can. And one of the best things that you can do in the beginning is just try to calm down the fire. So put calm down the, the pain symptoms through different things like isometrics. So reinstating this sense of stability in the spine, right? Because a lot of these pain symptoms that we experience are really just it's just information that our brain is telling us. It's a defensive mechanism. It feels like you're in some type of danger. And the really cool thing about isometrics, so you think like dead bugs, side pillars, uh, different plank variations, prone, supine, what that will do is it'll instate a sense of stability back into the brain, a sense of safety, a sense of security. And that in and of itself will actually release a lot of natural opioids into the system. So you got a great medicine cabinet in your brain. So if you can get some of those opioids out through some isometrics, it's a great place to start. Yeah, no, we, um, you know, as you guys know, there's three muscle contractions. Uh, there's an uh, isometric, concentric, and eccentric. We develop stability with the isometric contraction. So what I would start with doing, obviously, he's doing the dead bugs. Um, I would kind of vary it where I'd be doing dead bugs. I'd also be doing like a side plank, like a, like more side planks and maybe some reaches. So he's working on some rotation underneath. We have a side plank with a reach. And then the other one would just be some really just easy, you know, uh, you know, pillar to plank type movements well, just in the warm up. From his call here, it sounds like he fell into a perfect application tool with Third Monkey. So we have mm-hmm. a limited with Third Monkey. It's our austere training program with limited weight. So anywhere from well, uh, is he doing Third Monkey because he can't lift barbells? Well, I, I want. I I'm not sure. So he may be out of a gym. But just to to build off the point that Matt is making. We have a limited weight range, anywhere from 35 pound cinder block all the way up to a 80 pound bucket filled with concrete that he's able to squat, lunge and perform movements. And it is very trunk heavy because we don't have a lot of equipment and we lean on the dead bugs, the side pillars and different isometric holds with the said weights, whether that's the the front carry or um holding a lunge position and performing a cinder block press as an example. So it's almost like he backed into, I'm not sure of his circumstance that he's performing third monkey, but it's a good solution to maintain confidence in his body. But now he's getting back to the barbell due to maybe buying up some home gym equipment or his gym is opening back up. So almost perfect alignment of solution based off the experience to have the confidence. So now let's lead into the barbell is back in his life. Where do we go now? I think the easiest way to do, uh, at least at what I've done with people that have kind of his issue where they're short limbed, long torso, and they're having some form of black, uh, back injury. Usually what I've noticed is there's uh, a lot of, or a lack of inflexibility is more their issue. And that can be as high as up on the shoulders. So what we, I would recommend is actually limiting the, the range of motion on the, both the poles and the squats. So what I would do is I would start him, uh, if he can get underneath a barbell in a good position, uh, where he's not overextended and his shoulders have good flexibility. If he has poor flexibility, I'd probably throw him into a front squat. And then I would use a set of straps, like a wrist wraps, uh, you know, pulled up on the bar so that he could hold in this position. If he didn't, if, or if he was lacking flexibility there, we could transition and even use a safety squat, which would probably be the best option for him. 
Once he's in that good position, then I would set up a box probably at about a 45. So where he squats down about a 45 degree angle. And I would not ask him to sit on the box, but I would ask him to go down and let his butt kiss the box and stand back up. And as long as he maintained good position on that movement, then from there, we would just keep moving the box down, 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 down till we get to parallel. And it very well might be that his squat looks great to parallel, but all of a sudden, once he gets down into a position below parallel, now all of a sudden we're seeing some overextension, whether it could be from the shoulders or whatnot. So what I would do is I would start uh, limiting range of motion on the squat and then the same on the pull. I would start at a rack pull at the top of the knee. If it looked good, I'd go down below the knee and then I would start working my way down the shin to actually pulling from the ground. Uh, I've had some really tall athletes, you know, six, seven, six, eight, six, ten guys that we've worked with that weren't great squatters, uh, you know, for what we would understand as standard range of motion, but were fine in terms of like hang pulls, uh, rack pulls, and even limiting on uh, the back squat. So it would really come down to us assessing him and putting him through kind of the gamut, bringing him in, seeing what he can and can't do, what he looks like. Is it rotation? What does his transverse plan look like? You know, and then he also made a good point about the position with the knees caving in. But yeah, I want to get to, I want to so, so get to the step up in a moment, but well, the, the step up's an interesting tell, especially with the knees caving. So we see the knees cave a lot because the glutes can't fire. So when the glute can't fire, then water finds its level. And what happens is, is the knees cave in to employ the adductor. And so what happens is, and we see this all too often, people can't fire their glutes or the glute is weak. Then all of a sudden the knees cave in to pull to the stronger position. So very well might be an issue where his stance is too wide because uh, he's too tall. So he's getting a really wide stance. He can't get his glutes to fire because they're weak. It could be foot position with his feet out. Is he squatting toes forward? In box height. Similar to the respect where you said uh, adjusting the pole, we don't have to step up to a 20 inch box. Yeah. Or- no, even a, a 10 or 12 inch box is more than enough. So a big issue there is uh, as people step, what does the shin angle look like? Are they actually getting positive shin angle and using the quad and driving through? Or are they driving straight up with using a vertical shin angle? So all these are things that uh, are really easy to assess. If your coach and the person you're working with is, you know, a power athlete coach, been through the methodology, working with a Matt Zanis or some of us, I mean, we could go through and create a pretty tailored program uh, with understanding what you can and can't do and getting you into a range of motion that you can allow to train and develop strength. Um, as I remember reading Stu McGill's book, uh, The Gift of Injury, he made a great point is you have to start with what somebody can do and then start working your way down the rung. Once they develop proficiency, you just start moving it down the rung and, you know, challenging them, putting somebody in their, you know, in the biggest hole you can first is by far the biggest, um, you know, mistake that a lot of people make. Yeah, John, I actually, I love all those strategies and you bring up a really good point is that context is absolutely key here and you need to be able to meet the athlete where they're at on the journey and not try to force like a square peg into a round hole type of thing. And especially with the spondy type cases, typically like 99% of the time, they're really sensitive to all these extension based movements. So getting right back into a barbell back squat, especially like a low bar is not going to be ideal because that does create a big extension moment through the spine. Uh, same thing with the deadlift as well. So I love your strategy of going to like a higher rack pull, get up into a good position, keep a more vertical torso. And a lot of the, the avenues I like to go down with these type of guys, especially the taller athletes as well. Cause I tend to treat people like they probably have one because you know, 60% of people actually have one back there anyway, and they don't even know about it. Sure. So what I like to go with 
is something like a sumo deadlift to start. So they're kind of re-ingrained the sense of pulling. So widening out the legs a little bit, keeping the torso more upright, and then going, like you said, right into a safety bar squat, and then eventually into a front squat and or indoor goblet squat, loading that up really heavy because that position in and of itself will start to challenge trunk on the anterior side, right? So you put a lot more force to the front of the body rather than the back, and it will start to reinstill once even more reinforce the sense of confidence in their body. And then you can start to progressively move it to the posterior chain once again, in conjunction with a lot of single leg work, a lot, a lot of single leg work, especially with that front rack type of position in the lunging and in the step-ups um, in order to help correct a lot of that, that knee caving in for the step-up um, that valgus position, which is interesting because you brought up how it recruits the adductors and it's the, the human body is freaking amazing, man. Like the way that it actually can compensate and work around issues is just fascinating to me because a lot of times that knee coming in is the brain saying, Hey, we can't find the glutes. So let's just drive the knee in as far as we can to try and simulate a stress stretch reflex on the outside of the hip. And then it'll eventually get that stress stretch reflex and pull you back up out of the hole um, versus, you know, you want to be able to try and recruit it from the get go instead of having to rely on that compensation pattern. But it's, it's an interesting tell, so to speak. Uh, the other issue brings up is kettlebells. Um, as you guys, if you follow any of our programs, I'm a huge fan of kettlebell swings uh, for one reason. One, I love the task specific tension of like the swing where there's a relax and then you have to brace on the eccentric work on a fast accentuation phase and then the violent hip extension to push the bell up. So there's this on off and, you know, playing sports, football, especially you're never, you know, boxing, MMA, whatever it is, you're never like this all the time. So you have this issue where you kind of are, you know, ready, but relaxed to be able to move. And then you snap it. It's kind of like snapping a punch, relax, relax. And then the punch snaps out and then it's, you know, hard as a rock and then you bring it back. So I love the kettlebell for teaching that on off and that task specific tension, which is a great term that actually we got from Aunt Lo. So to drop Aunt Lo a little mm -hmm. bit of love on the podcast. Um, so the issue that I ran into is if you're a healthy individual and you have a strong trunk, it makes sense. And you can swing big kettlebells and we got them. It was funny on Jack Street. There was a guy uh, first time I've ever been asked about how long to rest in the warm ups. And the guy was upset that I did not prescribe rest in the warmups. So that was kind of interesting to me because I'm like, I, I don't know how long it takes you to warm up. Some people power through them. Some people take more like that's shooter's choice, whatever you need. Mm -hmm. But his comment was uh, swinging a kettlebell, 72 pound kettlebell 15 times is a workout. I'm like, not in power athlete land, man. We got 106. We got a 150. We got a 203. Those are workouts. A 72 pounder is what my wife swings. So uh, that's kind of an interesting piece. Um, for the warm up, but what we found is that if people have these issues, a lot of times they don't, there's dysfunction in that task specific tension. They don't understand how to brace, how to relax, how to brace, how to relax. So if the, if you have a spondy or you have some back issue, uh, issue and Matt, this is where you, I was hoping to elaborate. Is there something neurological going on that maybe they can't do that due to pain inhibition? Because if somebody has a back injury like that, I'm very, very hesitant to prescribe uh, a ton of, you know, high rep, heavy kettlebell swings, which for us is really just a foundation of that trunk strength. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the warm up is like a great place. I like to utilize um, an opportunity to work on all these limiting factors that you're talking about, and especially uh, from the neurological standpoint. Because, like we mentioned in the beginning of the show, if the brain feels like it can't control or, or isn't safe in an area or position, especially with the low back, it will neurologically start to tighten everything down and around it in an effort to protect you. And that's why you see a lot of like tight hamstrings with these types of of individuals because it, it's really just trying to control the heck. Uh, that spine, because once you experience some type of trauma, whether it be physical, like in this sense of a fracture or, you know, spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, it doesn't matter. The brain reacts the same way. It creates this level of dysfunction, which turns into compensation patterns and accelerate tissue stress. And then you either injure yourself or start to develop more compensation patterns and kind of go around and around and around in this vicious cycle because you never actually intervened at the level of the trauma or the dysfunction in the beginning. So for these guys, it is really about filling in those gaps in the movement literacy. And what I mean by that is starting to explore dark zones, starting to explore areas that you're not comfortable going in. So if people are listening and go through like a little illustration right now. So if you think of your center of mass, so your center of mass is like the aggregate of everything in your body. So muscle, ligament, bone, everything. It is actually located about an inch below your belly button at your L4, L5 vertebrae. Ironically enough, the most common place where you start to see these spondies, and they're also the two most um, vertebral or two most mobile joints in the spine as well. So if you draw a dot on a piece of paper, that's your center of mass. You draw another circle around it. That circle is the limits of your stability, right? So the extents, the ranges that you can move into comfortably and under control. The radius, so the line from the dot to the edge of that level of stability is your mobility, right? So how much you can actually move through range under control. The only way that we create more mobility through the trunk, which in, in ten, it's, it leads into this sense of stability is by expanding the circumference of the stability. So that'll create a larger radius. You have more range of motion, more mobility to move around in, which then protects the spine. You have, now have more opportunities, more degrees of freedom to move in without sending off those danger signals into the brain. And warm up is the perfect place to start to attack those. I love it. That's a beautiful picture that you painted for us, Matt. I'm gonna steal that. Well, um, go for it. So uh, here's some of the limitations, and this is something we deal with almost a daily basis. Uh, Power Athletes puts out these programs like uh, Third Monkey, Jack Street, Grindstone, Field Strong, Hammer, and their generalist programs written for thousands of people and uh-huh. literally thousands of people a day around the world follow these programs. So when you write this program, it's really written towards a certain, uh, you know, a certain audience, a certain individual with a certain expectations. Now, if you delineate out and say, okay, uh, you know, now I have an injury or I'm, you know, six, four, two ten with a, you know, 29 inch inseam and, uh, you know, really long back. Now here's going to be some limitations that I have that maybe the practical application of the program is kind of, you know, doing one of these. So being able to understand how to modify the program for you as the individual, like I, I, you know, we get questions all the time. Hey, I have access to a safety squat bar. Where should I use it? Uh, A back squat, a front squat, all of those are cervically loading the spine for bilateral hip hinging. So technically you can use that safety squat bar or cambered bar or really anything in place of a back squat or some form of front squat. Just like we get a lot uh, asked a lot, um, where should I use a trap bar? Uh-huh. Anytime you're pulling something off the ground, you can always substitute between these different movements as things become more available. Well, that that is the beauty of the the definition of athleticism and how we educate athletes, coaches, and practitioners like Matt 
in our perspective of movement and moving away. And this was a lot harder in 2014 when we really started to implement field strong and expose different athletes to different movement styles and training styles. And it was the moving away from standards. For example, use the lunge, uh, touch, kissing your knee to the ground. That would mark a point in our fitness competition, whatever. But if that moving my knee to the ground causes some over axial rotation at the hip and some funky nonsense going on in the spine, but it counts as a rep. Well, in power athlete land, let's move through your range of motion. That is pain-free movement to Matt's perspective here. And then we control and that beautiful picture that Matt painted, we go to that edge of that line, that radius and control back to our neutral position. All right, on to the next rep. Let's see how it does on the opposite side of the body. Well, but uh, this is the issue we get into, mm-hmm. whereas I think at least the way my brain works and, and having done this for a long time, I look at the body as a whole and I look at this thing as a brute blueprint and athleticism, the ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or novel task that the, the end game is what we're looking for. And we're using these different levers to pull to get people there. And, you Uh know, whether it be, you know, different movements, different variations of movements, unilateral, bilateral, you know, things on the ground, things standing, sprinting, running. But at the end of the day, it's all driving back towards something. So what I think is pretty fascinating for me and having done this for a long time, uh, the biggest limiting factor that we've seen a lot of times comes down to like proficiency with movement. How well, how good of a mover are you? And if you're a garbage mover, be honest with yourself. And then, you know what? I might have to limit some stuff. Um, ego, letting yeah. ego get in the way where, Hey, if a 72 pound kettlebell is heavy for you, then don't swing a 72 pound kettlebell in the warm up. find a lighter kettlebell. If kettlebells are causing issues, then, Hey John, what are some other variations I can do to get that type of hip extension? And we can do some supine, uh, glute thrusts. We can do some bridges. We can do some other type movements. We can even hook up a band against a rack and then work on that same kind of motion of being able to go from kind of hips back to hips through. So, I mean, there's a, there's different variations for this stuff. Um, the problem is, is that when people look at the program, like the guy that, you know, we had an exchange yesterday on Jack street and it was kind of interesting. The guy kind of came out kind of prickly and you don't do that on Jack street because when Jack, when those fucking Jack shooters get riled up, when they get the syrup in them, they get all antsy <laughs> in the pensy and uh, things get a little riled. But my comment was with the warm up, I don't know how good a shape you're in. You know, you know, when we do our warmups, we hammer through them. When we do stuff, you know, we're looking, hey, I'm going to grab a few breaths and I'm going to get into the next one. So I think with a lot of that warmup stuff, that's really dictated on you as the individual, how much time you have. Like, hey, if I got 60 minutes to train, I'm not going to burn 30 minutes in warm up. So I'm just going to burn through it as fast as I can to get to the meat and potatoes. But I thought it was an interesting thing that people are getting so stuck in the minutia of the program that they're upset that there's not rest periods prescribed in a warm up. Well, the. We fall to the margins of our experience. Sure. Uh, to quote some uh, dude. That was me. That was John. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing that quote now. We fall, we fail at the margins of our experience. And, but here's the beauty of the warm up. And we, we do give the opportunity, if you would like to take a step further, free online course at academy.powerathletehq.com, where we go into Matt's example of the warm up. He uses this as an opportunity to one, identify as a practitioner, identify limiting factors, and two, the opportunity to correct those. Now, from John's performance perspective, the warm up 
those same movements that Matt's using as an assessment and corrective exercise, John's using it from a performance perspective to accomplish general physical preparedness through all three planes of motion across all of our seven primal movement patterns. Examples of this are in that free online course, but that's the beauty of the warm-up is uh, let's let's just call that Jack Street athlete out, then our field strong athletes, and then our lean and able athletes, all doing similar movement patterns, different volume and intensities, but all of them are increasing their athleticism. All of them are working on their individual limiting factors with these corrective exercises that are also the warm-ups. So they're improving their athleticism, their general physical preparedness, and their individual limiting factors. But all those Jack Street field strongs could, on paper, be doing the exact same warm-up. Uh, very true. Um, with the programs, um, at least the way I design warm-ups, is I look to see, hey, you know what? They're always going to be trunk-heavy. We're going to alternate between some form of um, you know, transverse, sagittal, and frontal plane movements. Uh, I'm always going to try to start people first in the dead bug. And the reason being is the patterning for the dead bug has such huge carryover. We use that as our instant assessment. When we went on the road and traveled for CrossFit football and taught, you know, hundreds of seminars around the globe, the first thing we did, get down on your back, hands and feet up. Let's get you into a dead bug position because the dead bug was such a tell for not only the pull up, but also the back squat. And it was amazing to see almost a one to one. If you can dead bug, you can back squat and you can do pull-ups. If, if all of a sudden you, there were limitations in the shoulder or you had tight hamstrings or low back or you couldn't get into a good position, we knew that that was somebody that we were going to have to earmark so that we could watch in their warm-ups. Yes. Any more value to our warm-up or anything directed towards our collar here, Matt? Yeah, I, I think the, the warm-up is a great place and one of the reasons why I like to spend more time there, one for myself and two with the athletes that work work with is because it it allows them the opportunity to slow down and actually develop a level of conscious awareness which is actually occurring inside their body i think all too often we kind of neglect the warm-up in a way and just try to power through it run through it just to get on to the meat and potatoes which if you're pain-free and you're moving well by all means yeah just get it use it to get the nervous system fired up get the heart rate up get the blood flowing and then get into what you need to do especially if the time constraint but if you slow down and actually are aware of what information your body is telling you, it will give you the tools that you need to start to fix these limiting factors, these problems that you're experiencing. And maybe instead of rushing through it, we actually spend more time there and develop more competency in those positions first. And then we can start to layer in all the strength stuff afterwards. Cause you know, at the end of the day, John, for me, I couldn't get away from this, uh, this podcast without talking about the feet because the feet are <laughs> such a, yeah, I know the foot fetish guy. Here we go again. <laughs> so we've, we've got this, this idea of, a is there a Matt Zanis toe sucking course coming out anytime soon? Which, or, or is that just on YouTube or on only fans? You know, yeah. that, that's, only fans that's are... going to be an expensive one because <laughs> <laughs> only fans. Oh, uh, there's some like highly top secret information in that one. Hey Tex, didn't you have an only fans account? No, stop. <laughs> uh okay uh, i mean so, i've been on it asked anyway. and answered so, i uh i just learned what it was the other day when tex told me he had an account on there and i just didn't even know what it was <laughs> stop <laughs> well luke summers was trying to you know make ends meet and so he you know oh, next God. thing you know <laughs> and i felt bad for him so i was his <laughs> only fan <laughs> 10 cents a day you get a, a morning yeah. selfie uh yeah, yeah. 
on the crapper. Okay, so this, <laughs> our caller, I, I'm, I've been meaning to make a point to call out the regions of the country. Our guys is 614, so Ohio strong for this gentleman. Well, but um, when I hear 6'4", 210, I'm kind of tall. I'm like, well, you need to gain 100 pounds. As Louis Simmons would say, if you're worried about being too tall, just gain weight and everything will work out. It'll work out itself. So don't Six, go four, to the- 270 or 27. Oh, 27 years old. Yeah, he's 27. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that meat suit will help. Yeah. Well, um, sure. hey, uh, at the end of the day, um, if you have access to the programs and you're following Third Monkey and you're following some of the other programs, I want you to uh, jump in and post your videos on the feeds and ask for some coaching. So if you listen to this, go in, show us where the dysfunction is, show us some barbell back squats, post them up in the feeds and let us get some feedback and some real world. That's one of the the perks of power athlete and the system that we're using with train heroic is the ability to post stuff directly to the feed. You can post them in YouTube. You can also hit us at power athlete HQ on Instagram. You can hit me at, at John Wellborn on Instagram or, you know, uh, at McQuilkin on Instagram or, you know, uh, rooted in movement and just tag us in the movements oh, on yeah. your Instagram. And we watch that stuff and we'll offer some coaching up. So there is coaching available. Uh, right now we're just kind of using the force speculating, but give us some real world feedback and let's see how you're actually moving and see if we can correct it. Yes. Uh, Matt, if dudes want to learn more, about you and find your only fan account where do they go <laughs> everything is at rooted in movement even the only fans account oh hashtag toes uh, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah so hit, hit me up on, on instagram at rooted in movement uh you can even send me an email at matthew at rooted in movement.com especially for this guy uh who answer or ask this question be happy to, to take a look at him and help him in a more specific unique individualized way as well so yeah awesome. check it out sweet slate it Bye. Bye. Thank you, Matt. Bye. That is the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. It is the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. And you know what? We ask questions or sorry, the audience asks questions. We have answers. If you want to leave us a question, we have this hotline. 929-464-464-0. 929-ing-ing-0. And if you leave us a question, we will answer it. We're doing these uh, question submissions every week. So if you've got something dope, leave it for us. Hopefully we'll answer it. And yeah, we'll- we get specific as possible. So not general fitness. We, nah. wanna, we want to be challenged. Yeah. Other than toe sucking, I'm not interested in that. And I don't want to see Matt Zanis's hairy long-haired toes fans account all right i'm like a hairless cat (laughs) all smooth pause for awkward silence two three all right thank you very much bye Bye. now it's time for you to empower your performance head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!